0: The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, Episode 92. Spain has more bars than any other country in the European Union. No wonder everyone needs a siesta. One, two, three. I'll show you Paris in the morning. I'll show you London I'm Don't have Hello, travel nerds and welcome to the extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast. the show that'll teach you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and today we are diving into part two of our interview with Warren and Betsy Talbot from MarriedWithLuggage.com. And if you missed part one, I urge you, go check that out. We had a fantastic interview with them, discussing everything from how they were able to quote-unquote retire at the age of 40, how they changed their whole life around to be able to live a life that allowed them to travel and do what they wanted and do the jobs that they wanted when they turned 40. We also get into how they were able to buy a home abroad. They actually now live in Spain. They have a home base there. They bought a home. So they discuss everything that went into buying that home, all the logistics, also the thought process that went into it, and why they decided to live in Spain and the, the cool story around buying a home in Spain and how quickly that actually happened. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff and you want to hear more about Warren and Betsy, go check out part one of this interview. You can find all that at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods, P-O-D-S, or of course, you can find it on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast. And now what we're going to do is dive into part two of the interview where we're Warren and Betsy discuss everything about their relationship and how they're able to stay together and everything around the relationship and the struggles and the obstacles with traveling as a couple. Some great advice in here. So let's get right into part two with Warren and Betsy Talbot of MarriedWithLuggage.com. The topic that you guys are true experts at and that you write about and that Married in Luggage is about, and it's about relationships and you write you know predominantly on married couples you know who travel and everyone thinks that relationships are so easy when you travel. I mean look, you know there's a kissing picture at the Eiffel Tower. How cute. They must they must be in love all the time and they're in Paris, but unless I'm missing something, uh, Heather and I find it quite difficult to travel and work together, basically be around each other 24/7. So, I know there's a magic secret. So, just tell me what it is, guys. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I wish Just there a- was a magic secret. Yeah. <laughs> I think
2: there, There's so many steps that are along the process. And that's what our last book, you know, our first three books were all about kind of more of the self-help how to save the money, how to get rid of your stuff, how to build the confidence to create the life you want. Whereas this last one was more of just a memoir of our relationship and how we've what made we've, it through. Yeah, yeah the so things we've learned. 285 pages of one simple secret.
0: Oh <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. So, but there are systems or ways Absolutely. that y- that you can make it better and Tell us how to do that because figuring out on your own, everyone's going to figure it out on as they go because every relationship is different. So let's you know let's you use that as the caveat. But you guys have done it and you figured out ways that have helped you. Give us some of those because I know people listening are going to need it. I know I need it.
1: I I think for us, what it is is it's a crash course. I mean, you're spending twenty four seven together, and and you just learn these lessons a lot faster because your time is compressed. But we've learned how to fight really well because you're never going to to, fight fast. Yeah, you're never (laughs) that's important. We do. We fight fast. We only fight about one thing at a time. We we don't allow you know dragging in of other issues. Yeah, because
2: even though we've we've. We have a great relationship. We still fight. I mean, we have fights. We had fight just a a week ago, a big one. And, you know, just screaming and yelling. But the truth is, is that it was a fight about one subject. We didn't wander off into a bunch of other things. We focused on it. We forced ourselves to talk through it because that's not normal. One of us usually wants to leave and the other person wants to stick around and talk endlessly about it. But we agreed that we would always work through that issue if the other person would stay on topic. And I think that in the world of fighting, that's probably one of the best things we've ever done for our relationship.
1: And I think in terms of specifically for travelers, this one is key. And this is, you know, you have a lot of decisions to make when you travel. It's not like living at home where you have a kitchen stocked with food. You can stand, open the door, decide what you want to have for dinner that night. You go to work at the same place every day. You're making a decision about every single meal, lodging every single night, you know, so many more things than normally, normal people have to, and there is an exhaustion that comes with that.
2: Yeah. And so you what we do now is we switch off. And so we tried it first when we were going overland from Thailand to, well, basically all the way to Miami without taking a plane. And over those six months, we traded off who made the decisions every day. That's a became a little bit onerous because each person had to kind of jump into the middle of the role the next day. So what we did is we now switch it up and we have an idea of a pilot co-pilot. So one month I'm pilot and I'll be responsible for driving the decisions. It's not a dictatorship. I just drive the decisions that need to be made, bring all the factors in, and I'm responsible for kind of getting us where we need to be. And then it switches with Betsy. So I'm typically the more dominant one when it comes to decisions. This is a way for me to learn how to take the back seat more and for Betsy to step up and to be the leader for that month as well. It's
1: really great because it gives you an appreciation for your partner's strengths. It also allows you to work on being a little bit stronger in something that you're you're not good at. And it also just takes the the load off because there is so much responsibility in in decision making in travel and and I think it just makes the whole trip more enjoyable, because even if you're in charge that month and you have a lot going on, you know, the next month you can, you know, take it easy a little.
2: But I think that if there's one thing, Travis, that we have done, and it was the thing that we did that saved our marriage. Oh, my
1: God. Don't tell him that.
0: (laughs) I'm not at that point yet. I mean, I'll call you in like three days. I'll be like, Warren, I need that secret, man. (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, it's one of these, it's it's this thing that I wish we had done years earlier. And that was, we stepped back, we took everything off the table, Our because all of our lives just have a tendency to roll forward. We took everything off the table and said, what do we want our lives to look like? If we're going to stay together, which we want to for years and years to come, what do we want a life together to look like? What does our commute look like? What do our jobs individually look like? What makes us happy? What do How do we want to spend our time when we're together and when we're apart? And that list, which is very similar to the list that I mentioned earlier about where you want to buy a house, that list saved our marriage. We talk about it a lot in the book. And so if for no other reason, buying the Married with Luggage book will give you the kind of the steps that we went through. But the idea is that list helps you to get aligned in your dreams, in your vision of life. And it's going to bring up a lot of conversations, things you may argue about, but at least they're on the table and they're not this like a growing monster in the closet that's going to erupt at some point because unfortunately, those differences will—they will only become greater if you don't talk about them now.
1: I think what happens to so many couples, and it certainly happened to us, is that we thought we were on the same page. Yes, and we yes. And So we continue to revisit that. The reason we keep bringing this up is we continue to have this conversation. It's not like you have a life vision and it never changes. It changes all the time as you as you grow and new experiences happen. And so we we constantly revisit this so that we can make sure that we are still aligned and making decisions together. That's how we can buy a. House house in less than a week after arriving. That's how we can make some of these decisions because we are in tune with what we want. We may fight like hell till we get there, (laughs) but once we get there, we're in tune.
2: (laughs) And the last thing I'll say, Travis, if I could just take one last moment is find where you communicate best, whatever avenue. For us, it happens to be walking. We go walking every single day. We hike, you know, usually do long hikes several times a year. So multi-day hikes. Those are our time to connect the most because everything is off. We don't carry a cell phone. We've never carried a cell phone. So, so for four years, we're, usually, we're disconnected if we're away from the house. And being out in nature is even better because then it's just the two of us. And that our minds start going and we're able to have those conversations. That's where we talk about the future we want together, what things might have changed, what things might have pissed us off. Having that element is really key because then it gives you a place and a free space to, to chat.
0: Yeah, and just so much to unpack there. Just listening, I'm nodding my head like, Yes, yes. And I think people who are in relationships whether they're married or they're couples and they've traveled just are probably listening saying, That's me. I, I you know, what they're talking about, the fights they've had, the you know, the problems they encounter are problems that everyone encounters. The idea of a co pilot and pilot is something I hadn't given thought to. And and like you, Warren, you know, I, I'm very I'm usually the more dominant one. I like to make the decisions. And there's times where then I get upset with Heather because I think, oh, I've been doing this, so I'm making all these decisions. Why don't you help out? But really, <laughs> it's because there's a reason because I'm like dominating it and she probably is trying to help out and I'm not listening or anything like that. You know, how have you been able to make that transition? Was that rough? Because I imagine I'm picturing now next month, right? (laughs) Of me saying, Okay, honey, like I'm gonna sit back and relax and you can make the decisions. I'm picturing how it's gonna go. And it doesn't seem like a pretty scene internally for me or maybe even outwardly. How how did that happen and and how do you feel now with doing it? Was it a, a learning curve?
1: Well, it, it was a rocky yeah, transition for agree. us, and, and I do have to to admit, you know, two friends of ours, you know, they they were good models of this behavior before, and so we were able to see how successfully they transitioned with that, and we were able to kind of, I mean, map get that to get a little, bit, us. Of get a little them, bit of yeah. energy from that. But it was rough, and it still continues to be. Yep. Like right now, yep. Warren is pilot, I'm co-pilot. This we're in our <laughs> we're in our normal roles this month, uh, yep. our, our default roles. So life is easy. Next month will be a little bit more challenging, and you know, it's not that that person makes all the decisions. They do all of the, I would say, all the logistical stuff. Decision making is still shared on big things. Like he's not going to go out and buy a house this month,
0: <laughs> okay. but it's hard or for so me. So you I'm- think that? <laughs> yeah,
2: I would say that it for me the biggest challenge is stepping back, and I really struggle with this, and I still do. I am getting better, is what I'm saying. I'm a flawed human being who is trying to improve every day in this area, and when it comes to being the pilot. I want Betsy to make not only the decisions, I want her to make the decisions exactly in the same process and at the same time that I do. Therein lies the struggle that where I know the problem is, right? It's all me. It's me and my expectations. Having to change that is important, and it goes back to talking. I talk to Betsy about it. I tell her that I'm having these troubles. I don't just erupt at her. I just tell her that this is hard for me, and then she gives me the the space needed. Now, when she's the pilot, she also smacks me down and tells me, I'm the pilot, that's it. So, easy example, we were at the uh, grocery store um, (laughs) in Portugal a couple weeks ago, and I'm paying, and Betsy's going to sack the groceries, right? She starts sacking the groceries, and of course I'm starting to tell her how to do it. And I'm explaining she needs to do it this way because that's how I would do <laughs> because
1: it. Because I'm a 43-year-old woman who's never been to the grocery store in my entire right. life.
2: Clearly. Uh, obviously. And that's How what it was your like first time, Betsy? How was it?
0: Was it, was it, was it
1: fun? It was, it was so shiny and bright. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but that and but that was an example. And so what what we did is that we put in a code word, right? And for us, I think it's orangutan, right? And
1: Oh, oh it's nice that you don't even remember.
2: <laughs> it's slowly fleeting from my mind. Um, but the idea is that anytime Betsy says that, it's a funny enough word that it shocks me. But that is what I need. I need that because I know that my default will be to jump in. And she doesn't want to start a fight. I don't want to start a fight. This is our way to defuse it.
1: I think for us, a lot of those tricks come about because, you know, when you're traveling together and especially when you don't speak the language in a country, you depend on each other for a lot. And if you get into these situations where you fight and you're you're aggravated for hours or days on end, you really can not necessarily harm yourself. I don't really ever feel in danger. But I mean, you really significantly alter the success of your trip because you need that other person. So our goal is to always come up with something funny, humorous or off topic to just sort of draw yourself away from the anger and bring yourself back into reality of it's not that freaking important how we sack the groceries. And so this is
2: a good way that we've transitioned is that I may never get over my innate feeling of that I need to be in control or I need to make the decisions. But I need to realize Betsy's my partner in everything we do. And she has just as much say in everything we do. And I don't need to tell her how to do things. And so I just need to be reminded of that sometimes. So when you asked about transition, it's difficult, but I will say that it is getting better. But it it takes Betsy's help in order to get there.
1: Well, and I think it takes your help in the months that I'm in charge to, to step up and do more that, you know, some of the things that maybe I would just kind of let slide. Default, yeah. But I do like it when you mess up, because then I get to come up with these great words. Like I could say orangutan or call you jerky face or or any of those kind of things. It, and it's a lot of fun for me. The good thing
2: about our marriage is you're always going to have room and latitude to do that. <laughs>
0: yeah. And isn't it crazy when you step back? Like, you know, we have a big fight yesterday. OK. And then. I get in the car, I'm driving to go play basketball, and within five minutes, I'm calm, and I'm like, that was so dumb, but when you're traveling, and you're constantly around each other, as you guys mentioned, it can just escalate and escalate, and because escalate you don't have that separation. I mean, you can get it, you know, you can leave the room, or what have you, but it's not naturally built in, because you're in a foreign country, you, you probably don't know what you're doing, or, you know, you're just in tight quarters, more or less, of the time, And it just keeps escalating. And then when you finally do get away, it's like, why did we waste two and a half days being upset? You know, this was solved by five minutes of me going away and realizing that I was being a jerk or you were being a jerk and I was being a jerk. It's it's insane how a little bit of time and distance can really just reset you.
2: I would disagree because I would say that it depends on the person. Because for me, that separation fuels my fire. If we haven't worked anything out, it fuels me and I get more hot. And Betsy needs the separation time a little bit more. I
1: always tell him, you're trying to wear my skin. Get away from me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And so so I think it depends on the person. I think that us having the conversation and figuring out what we each need gave us the ability to give the other person that. So if Betsy needs space, I can say fine, you can have 5 minutes, you can have 10 <laughs> minutes, minutes.
1: Or an hour whatever
2: you need. But what I'm saying is but what I need in return, <laughs> what I need from you in return is an agreement on when we can come back together. And so I don't know if Heather feels the same way, you know, but I think that that's kind of one of the most important things is knowing what your partner needs in terms of um, space in general, in terms of space in fights, in terms of, you know, how you fight having those dialogues and knowing your partner becomes really a key element.
1: Well, I think it comes down to friendship. So one thing that we were good at before was being lovers and spouses and and all of that. And we got along great. But I wouldn't say that we were close friends like we were with our our actual friends. Mm -hmm. When you go away, when when you go away to travel like this, you have to bring more of a friendship angle into your relationship, I think. You know, it's the please and the thank you and the... Thinking about things as if it was your friend. And that, I think, has been a big change for us. I would give my friend some time to cool off if we had had a fight, a disagreement. Those kind of things that I wouldn't have necessarily done for my lover, I would do for my friend. And you have to kind of switch gears. Yep.
0: Yeah, for sure. And as you mentioned it, Warren, it's funny because I'm saying like, yeah, I just go away and I feel great. But that's probably maybe 10% of the time. You know, the other 90, I want to stay and fight because I want to hatch it out, right? So on my terms, there's great times that I'm like, oh, five minutes away. This is fantastic (laughs) because it's my terms, right? Because I'm the one leaving. Now that you mentioned, I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess that doesn't really work for me most of the time, just the times when I want it to work for me, right? Because I'm ready to be done. The friendship thing, I think, is so important because we do do so much for our friends and we, we treat them so different. And, with you know, there's that saying like... Why are we the worst, or whatever, the meanest to the ones we love? but it's true because I would never yell at my friend, or do that, or fight with my friend in that way. And I think changing, you would never make
2: up with your friend either that way. So well, let's be honest.
0: Well, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's very true. So I do think I, I think that is a nice way to to help at least shift the paradigm, even if it do, it's not going to work overnight. But if you think of it in that way, you start to say. Oh yeah, you're right. Like this isn't how you should treat another person. It doesn't matter who it is. I shouldn't be treating another person like this. And it takes a while to get used to. I want to touch just real quick on your life goal plan that you mentioned because again, I think that's incredibly important. Something that Heather and I haven't done, but as soon as you were saying it, I thought this needs to be done because you you always think you're on the same page, right? Well, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And if you don't talk about it you don't know. And then all of a sudden, there's a huge fight of like, no, I thought we were going to be staying home for three months, or I thought we were going to be looking into having kids, you know, and it's not stuff that either of us disagree with, but we didn't know the other was thinking. So when you sat down and made that list and said, what, you know, what does our life look like? Were there some big takeaways that, that shocked you guys or, or just general things that you were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe the other person was thinking this. I knew it, but I didn't realize they were thinking it in this way.
1: I think for us, it it started off as we had the same general idea about things, but not in the way to carry it out or in the timeframes. I think that was a big thing for us was timeframes. And, you know, maybe it's because we had done all that work, you know, up to that point. So so that was the big thing. But for us, I, I think themes are a big thing and it's a really informal way that you can start doing this before you sit down and and really map all that out. So for instance, right now we're in a nesting theme. We just came back from two months in Portugal, which was a work theme, an internal focus theme. We we did a lot of work on a book, some other things like that. Right now we're getting our house ready because we're having a lot of guests over the winter. And so we, we look at each other and say, this is our theme. For the next four weeks, we're doing X. And, and it, it just kind of puts us on the same page going forward. And I think that makes life a little bit easier. That makes it
2: easier for our day to day. I think if you look back at, you know, in 2000, 2015- Four two 2006, right into the, the dark years of Talbot history, if you will. That was when we
1: almost
2: When's got. When's
0: that out. book coming out? Yeah,
2: that's, that's actually in Married with Luggage. That's okay. the first part. And we document those years of, you know, focusing more on our career than our relationship and meeting in the Denver airport and realizing that. We were either going to get divorced or change our lives, and it needed to be one or the other, and it could not continue. And that moment, we, we talk about a lot, that's when we created the list, because what we sat down is we didn't say, let's spend more time together. We didn't say, let's communicate more. Let's have date night. We didn't do any of that. What we said is, what do we want our life to look like? And we documented out, you know, we want to be able to walk to nine ethnic restaurants, which doesn't seem that big a deal to anyone. But to us, it says so much about where you have to live. You can't live in the suburbs. You've got to live in the middle of a city. There's only certain cities that you're going to find nine ethnic restaurants within a walking distance. So you need to find that city. And we wanted to make sure that we were spending more time together. We were each spending over an hour a day, hour and a half a day in commutes. So that means we needed to work closer to where we were, wherever we were going to live. All these things that were about what we wanted would dictate the decisions we would make in our careers, in our commutes, in our life that we would have outside of our relationship. But our relationship was going to come first. And so we made that list. It opened up a lot of conversations about how much we hated our jobs in terms of travel because we were both traveling a lot. And all these things came out. And I still wanted some travel. Betsy didn't want any. So we had to have that conversation and how much was the right amount. So we negotiated in those things. And, and then once the list was done. Then it's just executing a list. Then it's basically going through and doing the geeky stuff that we love, which was, okay, how many cities in the world meet this requirement?
1: And have industries that we can work in. Right, right.
2: and have jobs in areas that would be both within, you know, uh, an easy commute from where we want to live. And then how are we going to change how we communicate and how we live? How are we going to make this work? All of that thing got shaped around it. But sitting down to have the conversation is about what do you want your every day? I mean, like your Tuesdays. What do you want your Tuesday to look like from the moment you wake up? I want to make sure that I have coffee in the coffee pot that's going. And then from your commute to the moment you come home and you go to sleep that night, map it out, map out your dream day together, and then figure out how to build a life around that.
1: And that's what we continue to do. Every time we make a change to our life, every time we want to do something new or different, like buying this house in Spain, we go through, we have that list. What do we want it to look like? And then we make it happen. (laughs) Man, that it.
0: It's so amazing how such what seems like simple advice, like, yeah, of course, of course, you should know what your partner's (laughs) goal is and what they, you know, uh, the time frame ones is huge for us, too, because we both know what we want. Okay, we we want to have a family we want, but we want to still be able to travel some. But the time frames, as you mentioned, Betsy, that's the thing like, well, when is it going to happen? You know, maybe to you it's going to be three years. To me, it's going to be one year or vice versa. It's really, quote unquote, simple advice, but it's so powerful. And I think the idea that you constantly go back and look at that and tweak that is so important. You're not pigeonholing yourself into something and saying, yeah, in five years, we're going to be here. Ten years, we're going to be here. Boom, boom, boom. It's like, what, what do we want it to look like? And then when a big change happens, well, now what do we want it to look like? That's... That's there you go. That's the well, magic secret.
2: There's, there's one other element that is really important, and this is something that we've done for our entire relationship. We don't consider ourselves in a long term marriage. We consider ourselves in you know hopefully. Okay, recurring. now you're
1: seriously geeking out.
2: <laughs> in a, I know, I know. Every year we renew our marriage. We have a not love in, contract, and not in a like spiritual woo woo perspective. In a truly sit down across the table from each other, or across a rock or whatever, and. We have a negotiation about whether we want to stay married for another year.
1: So we talk about the direction our relationship's going, things that we really like that we did the year before, things that didn't go so well, things that we individually and as a team need to do better. And then we ask each other at the end of that conversation, do you want to spend another year together? And I think it's been the most powerful thing that we've ever done in order to make our bond stronger. We have regular conversations. I mean, it's, it's just a part of our everyday to talk about these things. It just becomes Becomes part of the commentary of your life, and so it's not like you're scheduling time to have these big, deep discussions. They happen over oatmeal in the morning. They what? happen on your walk in the afternoon. I mean, it just happens, and it, it becomes a way of life. And I love it. Our friends freak out when they find out that we're only doing this one year thing. You know, they call it the day after our anniversary. So, you guys still on? <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, so do you have a certain day then? Uh, we do it on, on our anniversary. Okay. Yes. Very cool. Very interesting thing. I-, I think if more people did that, they would have the feelings that you guys have of of just, yeah, not in the, oh, we're rechristening our vows, let's have a huge party, although that could be cool too, but in the, all right, let's actually sit down and talk about why we're committing to each other or why, you know, hopefully we're committing to each other, but why we might not be or what things were hanging us up. V- very powerful stuff, guys. I I mean, I can't thank you enough for sharing all the information about the relationship because it's, it's a subject that a lot of people want to kind of gloss over or they just think it's not an issue because everything looks great on the surface. But, you know, anyone who travels a lot with another person knows all these things come up. And I think they come up with every relationship, no matter how, quote unquote, perfect it looks from the outside with traveling flip it a little bit here. And I want to get your guys best tips for traveling more and spending less because you've done a lot of traveling. You guys travel on a, you know, on a budget, quote unquote, and, and you're not out gallivanting and flying everywhere at first class and things like that. What are some of your best tips for being able to travel but not spending a ton of money?
2: So we actually started, when we left on our trip in 2010, we struggled trying to find information for people. It was a couple, for couples that were traveling like we were. So we actually started a website called RTW Expenses for around the world expenses. And that site, we documented every penny that we spent for the first three years of our trip. And so everything that we've ever spent is all there for everyone to see. So you can see that we spent on average 25,000 US dollars per year together as a couple. And so you can see how we did it. And one of the big tips for us is we travel slow. We love to travel slow, not just because of the cost savings, but that's how we kind of get to know people in the area. You start to find out little secret, special restaurants, hidden gems, things that you wouldn't see if you breeze through a place in two or three days.
1: The second thing, and this goes along with the slow travel, is that we discovered house sitting. We just came back from seven Plus weeks in Portugal at a 300-year-old farmhouse. We've been on houseboats in Amsterdam. We've been in manor houses in England, uh, rammed earth house on (laughs) top of the Andes mountains in Ecuador. I mean, really, it's been fantastic.
2: Yeah, I would say that that's probably the other way that we can save money because we can stay in those places, and then we just boat, and then we cook a lot. And that's the other, another transitional element in an area of savings is we cook a lot. I really. kind of grown a passion for cooking in the course of the last four years. So we go to the local market and buy whatever's fresh. And then I come home and figure out how to put it together into some dish that Betsy will eat. And it makes it fun because both as a cost savings, but also as a relationship thing, it's fun to cook together. And it's great to be able to try those things. You know, when you're spending 365 days on the road every year, it kind of gets old eating out. Eating out gets and old, And so yes. cooking together is, becomes a romantic thing and a nice cost savings as well.
1: And then I think the last thing is, especially in Spain and other places, I know it was the same in Mexico and a few others, it's called a menu del dia here, which is basically the menu of the day. And you get a special. And for us, you know, it's usually somewhere between seven and 10 euros and you get the full meal. And we do that at lunch. So you go where the locals eat. You you eat where they eat. You don't go to expat restaurants or, or places for tourists. You, you go where the locals eat and it's cheaper.
2: Yeah. If you follow wherever the people, the construction workers, the guys who are out there who are doing the hard jobs in the world, follow them and find out where they're eating. And whether you're in China or you're in Spain or you're in Argentina, you're going to find great food at good prices. And I'll agree and echo what Betsy said. Eating out at lunch will save you so oh, much money. You'll get a slightly smaller meal. You're gonna be healthier as a result because you're not eating a big meal in the evening, and you're also gonna get it at a fraction of the price.
1: We learned this early on in our travels that um, you should eat like a king at breakfast, like a prince at lunch, and like a pauper at dinner. And that's the way to stay healthy throughout your life, and it's a way to save money also. And we've adopted that ourselves, and our lightest meal is in the evening, and it, it you know, we've lost a combined what 85, is it? Pounds. 85 pounds wow. in the time that we've been traveling. Just just through simply following that plan
0: man, another show. We'll have to have you guys come on and talk about about how you're staying fit on the road. Man, we've, we'll just line you up. Just come on and just talk about any okay. subject. I'm so okay. glad someone else is, house sit- is hitting the house sitting hard because I've been hammering the podcast listeners and the readers for like the last couple months, like house sitting, house sitting, house sitting, because we've always wanted to do it. We've done it in our area, but we just did it in Breckenridge, Colorado last month for the first time for someone from trusted housers that we had never met, didn't have any connection with, and obviously just a fantastic, fantastic resource. So guys, it's not just me telling you to do it. Warren and Betsy are, they've been doing it. It's it's just amazing. And the, um, the RTW expenses, I can't wait to, to dig into that because as we've already talked about, I'm quite the nerd as well. And we document every cent we spend as well. Uh, I think we're like seven months behind on, to- on like getting it onto the website. It's all just written in my moleskin, but it's there. It's there. So I'll be checking that out and we'll link that up in the show notes, guys, as well. One of my favorite questions to ask guests on the show is about their travel mistakes or mishaps, because everyone seems to think seasoned travelers, you know, they have it all together. But the reality, much, much different. If you have any mishaps, like, do you have any mishaps that stick out in your mind as just being like, I can't believe this happened, but it obviously turned out okay in the long run?
1: Well, you can cue the dramatic music right here because last year we were finishing up a trip. We were going by train. I can't even remember. Oh, we were going to Budapest. Yeah. We had just spent all night on the train car from Germany. We were
2: going for, yeah, from Cologne. The
1: next morning I was a little bit tired, but we only had like a two or three hour train ride. And, and I stuck my backpack on the top rack which you shouldn't do, but we had first-class train passes. There were only a couple of other people in the entire car. I didn't think anything of it, and I didn't notice until about 15 or 20 minutes into the trip, some older ladies got on, and we stood up to help them with their bags. I noticed my bag was gone, and it had my brand-new MacBook. It had my camera. It had my passport, credit cards, license, everything, I like our entire business was in that laptop.
2: Yep, and is now, you know, the property of some probably wonderful Hungarians who are enjoying it. I hope their business is going well. It also had
1: my favorite rain jacket and scarf. You would think that
2: everything was in there if you heard the story the last year. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. So so anyway, (laughs) I was completely freaking out. And you know what? As a seasoned traveler, I know that you don't leave your bag unattended, especially on public transport. But I was tired and I thought, oh you know, we've been traveling all this time. I'm I'm smart enough to know these kind of things. I mean you you start getting a little little bit lazy about that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, just
0: complacent and, because it hasn't yeah, so happened as well. So you think, well, yeah, everyone tells me that I shouldn't leave it unintended. You know, I've been traveling for seven years. It's been fine. And so even subconsciously, you probably don't think that consciously, but subconsciously you do.
1: Yeah, you do. And so so we ended up getting to Budapest, a place we had never been before, and had to go to the police station, the Hungarian police station. Not
2: something someone gets to spend. No. And not everyone gets to spend an entire Saturday in the Hungarian police yeah, station. You
0: guys are lucky.
1: See? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so we filed our report because I couldn't get a passport without that. And this was last year, well, right around this time last year when the government was shutting down. Maybe you remember that? Yeah. So that included passport services.
2: Well, that was the concern, yeah.
1: Yeah. And so we were worried that the government would shut down before I could get my passport. We didn't know how to get our bank cards. And we were supposed to be in Turkey in two weeks to start a this 30-day hike that we'd been training for for six months.
2: Yeah. Wow. So we it was a huge lesson. Honestly, it taught us more about ourselves and our relationship than it did about any of the special travel things because how you react to these really bad scenarios as a couple, I could have freaked out and started yelling. Betsy could have just completely broken down and said, I'm out. I'm done. I'm finished, let's just, you know, go hide in the middle of nowhere and I I never want to deal with this again. Well,
1: because we have this rule on travel days that you carry your passport and your money with you, your credit cards on you. And I had taken mine out of my pants pocket the night before because we slept on the train and it was digging into my leg and I just put it in my backpack and thought, oh, well, I'll put that back in the next morning and I forgot. And so when the bag was stolen, Warren looked at me and said, well, at least you still have your passport and credit cards. (laughs) 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 Uh, And that's... That's when he could have easily turned around and yelled his head off at me when I had to say, well, actually, but really working through it together, Warren really took charge, got on, uh, there was Wi-Fi on the train, and he still had his laptop. You know, he's canceling credit cards, changing passwords. He's got this, like, already going. Before we even arrive in Budapest, you had all that locked down. You had an appointment to the embassy. I mean, he really jumped in to save the day.
0: That's where your dominating spirit wins out, Warren, right? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much,
2: Travis. You have vindicated. I'm going to use that the next time. I'm just you
0: know, try- <laughs> I'm trying to vindicate myself in the future, too, yeah.
1: But, you know, this is something that each partner has to do because we had a- another scenario in Mexico where um, we-, we got into this really bad situation with a-, a landlord there, and I had to come in and save the day. So it's not necessarily like a dominant personality. It's it's one of those things that you have to know what the trigger points are and, and the, the the safety zones for your partner. Yeah.
2: If, you're, if your partner is being choked by their landlord, yeah.
1: you
0: should step up and help. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. so, um, a
1: rule. Yeah. That sounds sort of like r- a
0: mishap right there.
1: <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that, that is a mishap. That was a mishap. But but you do. You have to. The goal, really, and we wrote about this in the Married with Luggage book, is to be the hero and get your partner back to normal as quickly as possible because it doesn't really matter what's going on. You can talk about the dumb stuff that you did later. All we've of that can be a, done later. In the moment, you you save that person.
2: Right. We've had crazy Crazy mishaps, you know, we've had to bribe our way into countries, we've um, landed in places where they have no electricity, no water, volcanoes that are erupting, you know, political political Mm -hmm. coups, you know, um, you know, the worst storms that you can imagine and see But we've been through these things. And each time they become stories that those are the ones that we reflect upon, not just in terms of the funny stories. They're also the things that where we learned lessons as our, from a relationship perspective that we reflect on that make us stronger.
1: I think that's a great thing to think of when you're traveling, when things go sideways and you, I don't know, you have like the worst diarrhea in the world or you've just had everything stolen. Like whatever the bad, bad thing is that's happening, you have to think to yourself this is going to be a great story later.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And I have to give Heather some major, major credit here on the podcast. Someone may have heard this before, but I lost my wallet in Paris not so long ago. It was my own fault. I don't know how it happened. It didn't get stolen. I know that for a fact because no one used a credit card for like two days. And I just lost it one night and we were supposed to go the very next day out to Versailles. And, you know, we had this whole day planned and everything. Woke up next morning, walk out the door, and then realized I don't have my wallet. Go back in. It's not on the counter. Where is it? For literally, for seven hours, we went to the French police station. Sounds a lot like your story. <laughs> French police station, not the experience a lot of people get to nope. have. Um, they're quite rude, as you can imagine, especially <laughs> to me, not being able to speak French. You know, we were digging through the trash four or five times. You know, we we're crawling under cars looking for it. At that point I'm like, she should be so mad at me. And and but she knew it wasn't my fault. I obviously didn't do it on purpose, you know, or anything like that. And she could have been so mad at me and she was so calm and she she just helped me through it. And of course I was mad at myself and and pissed off and she just, you know, gave me that space. It was perfect. The way she handled it was perfect. And I even said to her, I don't know if I would have handled it that way had it been you. I I hopefully I would have, but I don't know if I would have You know, I just can't tell. So thank you for being this way. And I do think it helps bring you closer together. And and it really does show you, okay, this relationship for all the times that things have happened is worth fighting for because in that moment, all you wanted to do was help me out and calm me down and things like that. And that says a lot.
2: It, it does, and it, it's a wonderful moment. It, they're they're tough times to go through, but if you can look back on that and see how you came together in that moment, it, it, it really makes it better long-term. You know,
1: all these lessons that we've learned and the things that we've talked about here, you know, it seems like it's not that big of a deal. Like you were saying before, it seems so simplistic, but it's when you take care of those simplistic everyday things all the time, when the sh- Hits the fan. Yeah. That's when you see the result <laughs> right. of all that work. It is. That's when you see it, and that's when you say, "Oh, okay, that's good. That's yep. good." Or, or when a big opportunity comes, like with Correct. buying the house in Spain. I mean, that's when it all comes together, and you realize how much of a machine your relationship has become. That you just you can just gin through all of this stuff with little to no problem.
0: Yeah, and that's perfect. That's that's a perfect. Way to end it on such a high note. You know, we're sitting here talking about how great it can be. I know we've talked a little bit about the the tough parts, but I I love that because it's so truthful. And Warren and Betsy, I want to thank you guys for coming on the show. You know, sharing your wisdom. It's been awesome because I basically got to ask the exact questions that I'm struggling with and the things we want to know and get incredible answers from you. So thank you guys so much. What do you have that people should be looking out for in the pipeline, either personally or professionally? And then tell people how they can come and find you, how they can pick up the book, all that good stuff.
1: Well, right now we're working on a romance novel, believe it or not. It's one of the things Ooh. that we mapped out on one of our nature walks, and we're very excited about that. But the thing that I think your your audience is going to love and really get a lot of benefit from is our book, Married with Luggage, What We Learned About Love by Traveling the World. It is a fantastic resource for anyone who's thinking of traveling and hopefully will save you some pain and 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 hardship but you can find everything about us at MarriedWithLuggage.com. That's where you can get the podcast, the books, videos, all kinds of good stuff.
2: Yeah, we've written four books, but I think that the one around marriage is really the one that is the most interesting and it's really the most revealing about our own relationship as well. So if you want to hear the the funny and hysterical stories and weird antics that we haven't talked about today, we share it all Yeah Believe, there. It, believe and,
1: it or not, there's more. <laughs> yeah.
2: And in our podcast, I can guarantee you we're just the same way. You can hear everything that goes on along the way each and every week at MarriedWithLuggage.com.
0: Yeah, I should have mentioned beforehand, that is why these guys are so good at coming on and being on a podcast because they have an excellent podcast in their own right. You guys can check that all out. Warren and Betsy, thanks again for coming on. Enjoy your nesting phase here.
2: Thank Thank you very much,
0: Travis. Guys, if you love what Warren and Betsy have been talking about, make sure you head on over to their website, MarriedWithLuggage.com. Of course, all the links that we talked about, the books, the podcast, everything else we mentioned, RTW expenses, all that's going to be in the show notes. You can find that at ExtraPackOfPeanuts.com slash MarriedWithLuggage. Don't forget, we're still doing podcast gluttony. Warren and Betsy actually gave me a compliment earlier. They said, I can't believe you guys are doing five shows a week. That's crazy. You guys are right. It is crazy, but we are still doing it Monday through Friday. We're looking for your input on show guests and topics. Warren and Betsy were actually a recommendation from a friend of a friend. So I'm so happy that I was able to get them on the show, find out about them through her. And there's a lot of other great guests out there. So email me, Trav, at extrapackofpeanuts.com. Or if you're on social media, you can tweet us at Pack of Peanuts. And of course, everyone loves iTunes reviews. So if you go out and leave me an iTunes review, Go to Warren and Betsy's podcast. Leave them an iTunes review. We'll all feel the love here, guys. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for all the support and for making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. Until tomorrow, happy free travels.